Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. Take three of the Inside OU Podcast, the Thursday edition with USA Today, SoonersWire.com extraordinaire, Keegan Renault, and then some guy named Brady Trantham, which is me of 107.7 The Franchise. Uh, yes, this is our second podcast of the week, and like we kind of went over on the previous episode on Sunday, Keegan and I are going to try and do at least two podcasts, but hopefully three, uh, with the third one being... Uh, the post-game show or post-game reactions Saturday night, depending on Keegan's availability. And then um, I'm also doing the post-game show for 107.7 with Chisholm Holland. And I believe Sam Mays will join us for a segment or two uh, following every OU game. So look forward to that. But basically, we'll be busy, but we'll we'll try our best to get some type of post-game reaction out there for you. Um, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning for each game. But overall, the plan is to have at least two because obviously, Keegan, you had a chance to talk to Lincoln Riley, assistant coaches, uh, a bunch of players, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so Thursday, it's kind of our last chance to get our our, our real thoughts in before the game on Saturday. Uh, Missouri State, OU 630 and Norman. Um, The depth chart got released, Keegan. So let's kind of Let's kind of jump into that real quick because, I mean, we already kind of talked already on, obviously I said take three for this podcast because of some audio connection snafus, but let's just dive right into the depth chart. There are reports out there that OU has had quite a number of players mispractice due to either being COVID positive, but most of them probably just because of contact tracing. So, in theory, a player may have never had the virus, but may have not practiced a lot because of contact tracing. So um, the depth chart has a lot of things that kind of pop out at you. And those have already been discussed by now, Keegan, so we don't need to go into that. But I mean, just exactly what what in the hell are you expecting uh, to trot out onto the field? Like, are you expecting any big surprises uh, at all? Uh, play one, game one on Saturday? In terms of surprises of player availability, yes. I, obviously, you can't ignore the rumors that are floating around right now about guys being out for the game on Saturday. And I'll say this. Obviously, you have a test on Sunday. Oklahoma tested Sunday. Missouri State tested Monday. Then these schools are having tests on Wednesday and then on Friday. The test on Friday is the Big 12 test. Basically, the all-clear, all-go, we're good to go for the game. So, with that being said, though, there is opportunity there for guys that maybe – you know, we're in quarantine, you know, false positives, things like that. There, there is opportunity for them to, you know, be able to change the direction of them being able to play on Saturday. But in terms of the depth chart and everything, I, I do think we will see, you know, a majority of players at this point that are – not majority, sorry. A minority of players that are starters may not be in the places they were at, maybe not be in the places – or may not even be playing at all. So – that's sort of what I'm expecting to see Saturday. You know, I think the good thing is, is from Oklahoma's standpoint, there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to get to play, whether it's because of guys being out in quarantine, whether that's because of the score in the game. There's going to be a lot of guys that get to play. And 
for Oklahoma's sake, I, I think that's good, especially heading into that first Wayne State, who's probably one of the more underrated, um, uh, you know, underappreciated teams heading into heading into this season. So it'll be good for Oklahoma. It'll be good for everybody. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Going to be up in the press box Saturday night. I don't Look know at I you. you. I don't know if I've told you that yet. Wow! Yeah, all all those weeks of negativity, you know, biting you in the ass right now. Yeah, got to be <laughs> it. You know, it's got to. Some luck had to had to fall my way at some point. How much did you pay? Tell me right now. <laughs> I had money. I would pay him to be able to do it. To look at the depth chart, and especially this is, you know, this is coming a day and a half or two after the depth chart was released. So all these thoughts are already out there. But let's kind of put it out there for podcast uh, posterity. Um, you you have to expect a lot of well. This player was on the depth chart. Where are they? So are they either injured? Are they suspended? Are they in quarantine for whatever reason? Because what guarantees that is just looking at the three suspended players. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson is the 2B back to Marcus Major being the 2A backs. I believe the, uh, those are the backs that have the or next to their name on the uh, depth chart. Ronnie Perkins is obviously um, penciled in as the starter and he's not going to play. And then Trajan Bridges is also an or receiver on the depth chart as Wait, well. The appeal didn't come today? Oh, I know. The appeal, uh, yeah. The NCAA is peeling other things, I guess, like fruit or other fruits that can oh, be peeled. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, your boy uh, Kersey uh, did a pretty good job of just saying, hey, they are not playing on Saturday. <laughs> Nor will they play... Nor will they play really in the near future. Um, I, I guess let's touch on that. I mean, as I was like, here, let's talk about this. But now let's segue into this real quick since we just brought it up, Keegan. I don't know about you, but when when this suspension went down uh, prior to the Peach Bowl and it was pretty apparent that it was going to be a six-game suspension, it was pretty apparent that it was because of weed. Um, and this was, of course, before COVID-19 was on any of our minds, at least in this part of the world. So we were just all under the assumption that you'd have a spring ball, you'd have summer, fall camp, you know, 2020 normal college football season. I assumed then, you're like, yeah, they're going to miss Texas. That sucks. They're going to miss all the games up to Texas. That's awful. And now, even though the um, Big 12, you know, ACC, SEC, they're all playing a shortened schedule, basically no two games uh, or two games are off the schedule. Um it kind of made sense because Lincoln Riley never talked about it. It kind of made sense because nobody at OU had ever mentioned uh, any of those players that, okay, I guess that's because it's in some type of appeal process. I, mean, I don't know what they could possibly appeal if it's a failed drug test, but I mean, I don't know. I don't make these rules. I'm not in these, to, I'm not in these meetings. Um, but because of it being so secretive, you just kind of logically assume it's because they're appealing. But even, even then Keegan and you would, you and I would have discussions off the podcast about, well, maybe they'll get their suspension prorated since there's two less games and potentially could play against Texas. I've just, maybe, you know me, I, I'm, I'm more pessimistic when it comes to OU football, unfortunately. I've just always assumed that those guys are just going to miss the Texas game. And it, it certainly seems that way, even as we get closer to the first game of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, you look at with, you know, Ronnie and these guys and everybody being out, it, it, it does leave, you know, some room there for Oklahoma. You know, that margin for error just got a lot smaller. I guess that's what, I, you know, what I was trying to say. Yeah. You, you, you look at 
you know, Jalen Redmond leaving, uh, a guy that was an impact player a year ago, or not leaving, opting out and rehabbing. Wow, I'm off to a hot start for this podcast. Tonight. Dude, this is the third but, take. It's it's fine. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, those guys not playing, it, it'd be better for them to be playing than it would for not to be playing. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, I don't think it's as detrimental to Oklahoma's success this season as, as it would be as if, you know, a guy like Caleb Kelly, uh, a guy like, you know, Creed Humphrey, you know, missing for the year. Uh, there is depth at these positions. Ronnie Perkins's is one where you, you hope, if you're Oklahoma, that Isaiah Thomas and you're hoping that Marcus Stripling, you know, step up and they can be players and be impact players for you off the edge this year. But as you said, you know, there is reason, and not just saying you, there is reason for pessimism about this group this year oh no question there's a lot of youth there's you know I believe I can't think off the top of my head I have it in our post but you know at least maybe 12 to 15 freshmen that made the you know depth chart off the bat this season which that shows their youth and there wasn't a ton of seniors so it's gonna be you know one of those things this year where Oklahoma's gonna have to grow up really quick. They're gonna have to have guys step up that haven't you know been in these in the spotlight before, and we'll see kind of what they make of it. Oklahoma's obviously confident. Alex Grinch continues to speak glowingly about the culture of this defense and where it's heading, but you know we'll have to see how these things kind of come together over the next couple you know two to three four weeks before we really get a good sense uh, where Oklahoma's at this season. Yeah, I mean, typically what goes through my head when I see the initial two deep at the start of the season and I see freshmen on the two deep, I'm thinking either these guys are incredibly talented or it just kind of speaks to, you know, the lack of talent at the higher end of the um, of the roster in terms of uh, uh, eligibility with juniors and seniors. And I think it's probably easy to make – and I, I would I'd probably admit that this is kind of a lazy – even for me, a lazy um, opinion to have of like, well, yeah, the the old players from the old regime, yeah, you, you don't really want them anyway because look what all look what we've seen over the last few years out of these guys. So it probably speak it probably speaks to Alex Grinch's ability to recruit even in one year to get some guys into the fold that can make an impact day one. I wish I could b- believe that hundred percent, but. I mean, it's it's not pretty when you see that many freshmen. I mean, on the flip side, you can you can go at uh, Anton Harrison at left tackle and use that same logic. But the only difference is, is this is Bill, Bill Beanbow's offensive line we're talking about. So that's when you can kind of get into the whole logic of, well, if this freshman is like starting, he must be a badass. Um, it, 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 we haven't really seen enough out of Alex Grinch just yet in terms of getting his guys into the fold, getting his guys onto the field, how they develop because obviously that was a big thing with the previous regime of players that would come here with talent, but just couldn't develop for whatever reason. But um, we're not going to find out on Saturday. We're not even going to find out um, maybe even against Kansas state, but you you know, you're talking about the defensive line, Keegan, the pass rush, the running uh, blocking or going up against the running game. Uh, like when the schedules got released and it was apparent that there would be no fun non-conference games, you know, OU fans had their fun with Tennessee, like, oh, dodged a bullet there, didn't you, volunteers? Man, OU dodged a bullet not playing Army this year with this defensive line with all these freshmen. They don't want none of that just straight pounding run game every single play up the A and the B gap. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about this pass rush, again, uh, you know, this even this run defense in the front, you know, 
that was a group a year ago, especially in run defense, whenever you do look at the analytics, they weren't very good. They gave up a bunch of big plays in the running game, whether it was quarterback run, um, design runs, whether it was inside zones, whether it was this, whether it was that. Teams had success running the football. And that's, gonna, that's a major question mark heading into the season. And you're talking about a group. Uh, you know, have maybe even a guy like Laurent Stokes, though, probably a better fit for, you know, being more sound, being more, being more disciplined, assignment sound, all those things, than a Jalen Redmond. But you've got to have guys impact plays. You got to have guys that can really Omic and Alex Finch can rely on them uh, to be able to do things on their own. And I think Isaiah Thomas said it perfectly, you know, do more than just what their job is. And I think yeah. that's where Oklahoma is striding um, to get this defense to be. But I do want to touch on something that you said a second ago. It is weird that a year ago at this time, Alex Grinch basically was shitting all over the secondary and lack of talent, lack of depth, this and that. The well, the competition isn't where it needs to be at a place like Oklahoma. Like basically saying that these two guys should have, you know, should shouldn't be going to practice feeling confident that they're going to be starting on Saturday. And then guess what? You've got a Jane Davis is starting at corner. You've got a Patrick Fields is starting again. A Delaren Turner Yell is starting again. Buki Radley Hiles is starting again, which by the way, awesome interview. God, it's so hard. It like he makes it, if you were a fan, he makes it so hard to not just root for him and for him to be successful. He is a really good dude, man. Oh yeah. I, I know it, I'm getting off I know I'm getting off topic here, but props to him. He's, no, he, he's got mature beyond his years. He's got the same thing that Carmelo Anthony had and mainly Carmelo Anthony later in his career. And especially like, as it concerns me when he played for the thunder, he was so fun to talk to and he'd give you so many good answers and he would, he would own up to playing like crap and it would just make it that much harder just to like, you know, talk to him, you know, shake his hand after you're done. And then, next day you're going to watch the game and you're like, yeah, man, the Thunder are getting just destroyed because Melo cannot defend and he's not hitting shots. And it's like, man, that's just kind of part of the gig though. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously with the secondary, I'll, I'll bring this up because we're actually going to have um, this person on the podcast Sunday. I guess we're going to have Sunday like be the guest portion of the podcast. Uh, Lee Benson from Oklahoma's News 9 is going to join. He also does his own OU podcast called West of, Ever uh, West of Everest one of my favorite OU podcasts I've been listening to for a while does it with his brother Grant. Um, I was actually listening to their big mega intro pod today, Keegan and uh, Grant brought up uh, Bill Conley and you're more into this than I am. Like you bring up the S and P you bring up the deep analytics. I'm with, I'm like that with basketball, not so much with football. I'm more old school, but I certainly do respect when you do bring up the numbers, but uh, uh, Bill Conley has been adamant about like the biggest uh, sign of success for a team going into the season is the experience coming into the, that year in the secondary. And on paper, OU has that. They have returning starters all over the place. And it's not, you know, we dog them. The returning experience is not just on paper experience. They're, they're fairly good at the very least. DTY played once he got the hang of it last year. He was a dependable starter. Patrick Fields doesn't make a lot of dumb plays, but his limitations are there, but he, he's overall, he's not Eric Bassey. Uh, we've talked all the time about Buki Radley Hiles and what he can and can't do. Um, Jaden Davis, we're both extremely excited for, and we've, uh, I've at least made my opinions known about Trey Brown, but 
hey, if he makes the leap, then the secondary has the, has the makings, Keegan, to be very good. And, I mean, do you buy into that kind of thought that if the secondary is as badass as it could potentially be, well, that's going to just spell success for OU just across the board defensively and then overall? It will, it'll work both ways. I think this is a secondary that doesn't need to be covering for more than three and a half, four seconds, uh, you know, and I think that speaks for a lot of secondaries, but specifically with Oklahoma this year, they're Troy Brown, super athletic. Jane Davis is really athletic, but at the back end of that secondary there, they do lack foot speed for, you know, playing in this conference, the vertical attack that they're going to see from each team, all those things. So yeah, it's, yeah, you know, talking about them being as good as what has been perceived to us from Alex Grinch, from other media members, all those things. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to see it because even at times last year when the pass rush was good, there were, or especially the first half of the season, they struggled and still had guys open downfield, uh, quarterbacks not hitting guys in stride, all those things were happening. So we'll need to see the secondary really take a step up this year just in the basis of this pass rush may not be as violent as it was a year ago. It's going to be good, but it, it may not be as violent as it was in 2019. Um, now that, that can change. If a guy like Nick Benito comes in and has the year that everybody thinks he's going to have, that, that'll change some things. If Oklahoma yeah. can really get after the quarterback this year, if a guy like Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Stripling can step up at defensive end, Laron Stokes, Corey Roberson, defensive tackle. By the way, Corey Roberson playing nose tackle, nose guard behind Perion Winfrey. Yeah, they can miss me with that. That guy is not a <laughs> nose guard. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to work, you know, hand in hand. Uh, sort of like it did a year ago, Oklahoma's defense was probably much better in 2019 because they were able to after, get after the quarterback. Their havoc stats in terms of tackles for losses, sacks, fumbles forced, all those things, passes, you know, PBUs. Those were way up last year. So, and I, th- and I think it's all, it all obviously all works hand in hand. And we'll see kind of what the secondary is made of because I, th- I do think early in the season that Oklahoma may not be getting after the quarterback as much as they would like, you know, maybe post Texas whenever a Ronnie Perkins returns. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the pass rush and how that affects the secondary because um, what I said earlier about DTY if the pass rush wasn't as strong as it was last year and it was just like a normal, like Mike Stoops defense, let's just pretend that the pass rush just doesn't show up. Ronnie Perkins has an average start. Jalen Redmond, average start. Kenneth Murray, an average start. DTY wouldn't have had the luxury of three or to four games to really get the, the position down and to become a, a solid overall starter. Like that could have been a, that could have been a disaster because obviously it just makes sense logically. If there's no pass rush and the quarterback has all day to stand in the pocket, it doesn't matter if you've got Ed Reed back there covering an 18 year old freshman receiver. The, the receiver knows where he's going. The quarterback has an idea of where the receiver is going to be. It just doesn't matter that you 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 cannot ha- ask your secondary to cover so long. So it's just so inherent and, and important on this defense, this the the front seven to manufacture a pass rush. And, you know, we're glossing over Missouri State because we know OU's going to win this game, Keegan. But, you know, they have Missouri State, they have a bye week, and then Kansas State's going to be – we're going to learn a lot about this OU team very quickly. And, obviously, it's just because, like, the schedule's weird, the season's incredibly weird. But, like, the talent is there, 
and I should feel comfortable about that for OU overall this this year, but just because of the and I'll, I'll call it a gauntlet. Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, and then even TCU afterwards. That that is when you're trying to figure out a, a front seven and a pass rush. That that scares the hell out of me. It should. It should scare the hell out of everybody. But to that point, where Oklahoma's strengths are going to be this year are going to be where or where Oklahoma's weaknesses, I guess, would be a better way to put it. This is going to be where a lot of other team weaknesses are. Iowa State's offensive line is not going to be very good. Kansas State's offensive line is not going to be as good as it usually is. Texas has major issues on the line, I think. I don't care what people say about it. They, Tom Herman fired got, his whole staff, though, Keegan. It's all on Tom now. It's okay. It, yeah, it's – they've got issues on that offensive line. They, they, Denzel Okafor – um, Derek Kerstetter, um, that interiors, uh, you know, Junior Angelau, I think, and then I don't know who the right tackle is, but yeah, it's they got a mess there. So, well, as I was saying, I, I you know, I think with Oklahoma this season, they're going to be playing games to where if you know they don't, they're not as good on the defensive line. These teams' offensive lines are going to be as good, so that's also going to help. That's going to help with the secondary. That's going to help with, um, you know, putting up points, uh, being able to maybe get some more possessions, all of those things. And then when you look at these – but when you look at this, these offenses, man, I know I said on the pod on Sunday uh, with Hoove, but Iowa State's going to put up points. Yeah. Texas, even without an offensive line, they're going to put up points. They've got, they've got a really good skill position group. Um, obviously, Sam returning for his senior season. Um, Sam, Sam's back, right? Beyond. <laughs> oh, look, here come the jump balls. Yeah, it's going to be all year. So, I, they, I, I think whenever you talk about this defense and what they're about to go up against, and even just Oklahoma in general, where, uh, where their strengths are at or where some team's strengths are going to be at, where their weaknesses are at, is going to be where a lot of teams' weaknesses are at. And that's going to bode, I think, extremely well for this team that does lack some experience in some important positions, but they're still really, really talented. And uh, we'll see, you know, early on, like you said, early on the season, we'll see if they can, they're able to put this all together pretty quickly because they're, they're going to have to. That Kansas State game, that defense is going to be really good. Iowa State's going to put up a bunch of points in Texas, Texas. So they're going to have to grow up quick. They're going to have to put some puzzle pieces together really quick. And they're going to, they're going to have to play some really good football. Yeah, and I, I guess that just kind of gives me the thought or just the question to pose to you, Keegan, of like, what exactly is OU just going to learn Saturday? And I, and not from our perspective as fans or media, but from like Lincoln Riley's perspective. Because he obviously needs to – he knows what he needs to look for with the players that he knows at least at this point. He's going to find out maybe even some differences come Saturday of the players that he's going to have available on Saturday. So it's just, it's hard for me to kind of grasp how you, as a head coach, as a play caller, as a coordinator, go into a game that you know you're going to win by 60 points, where you can't take a lot out of it, then go into a bye week, and then go directly into conference play. When you already have question marks now, it's like, how do those questions even get answered? And I, I guess what you could do if you're an OU fan or crazy one like me is just go, well, Kansas State has the same disadvantage. So if everybody has the same disadvantage, then talent's just going to win out. Is it, is it that simple? 
It can be. Uh, the How good your culture is, how good your coach is, how good your coordinators are. This year, that's going to be more prevalent than ever. Um, you know, I, I really truly think you talk about, you know, Texas specifically. I talked about them a second ago. You know, they're replacing an offensive coordinator. They're replacing a coordinator. They're all these things are not going to bode well in Oklahoma, in Texas' favor early on in the season, especially when you consider the fact that they didn't have a spring football to really get things going in the right direction. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it can be as simple as what you know we all thought with Ohio State in 2016 when they came in the Norman that just they were going to outclass Oklahoma because of the talent that they had. There's an opportunity for that. The teams with the best culture, the teams with the best coaches, the teams that play with the best discipline, that are assignment sound, they're going to be the ones that stick out in a 2020 season. And hope, hopefully for Oklahoma's sake that this talent has developed under this regime. The talent on offense will, has developed as what Oklahoma has been able to do over the last four to five years. And if those things come together, then, yeah, it, it can come down to as simple as we are better than you because we have more talent, we have recruited better, and that's going to show. Well, obviously, we just kind of mainly talked about the defensive side of the football, Keegan. And, you know, everybody obviously is going to be looking for Spencer Rattler, how he attacks the position, how he conducts himself, uh, where he delivers the football, how quickly he does. Does he bounce it out? Does he lock on to particular guys early on? I mean, we're all going to look for that, of course, but I mean, just something quick before we get into kind of like the other part of the, of this show. Um, I mean, is there just, is there a guy, is there a position group? Um, is, is just, just anybody that you're looking forward to seeing maybe for the first time or maybe now in a bigger role since a, a dip, like maybe a, a CD lamb's gone. So you're looking for a Theo Weiss or a Charleston Rambo to take that next leap. Man, it'd be really, it got to be, guess, be careful how I say this, but I'm kind of saying it as it is. It'd be hell of a lot of fun to watch Anton Harrison get off, get to work on Saturday. I, you know me and I've said it two weeks ago. I said it three weeks ago, maybe on the podcast, but I truly think, and I need to be corrected here because there is a person that listened that corrected me. Lane Johnson, as well as Trent Williams, were both number four. I forgot about Lane Johnson. But I think oh, yeah. Ant- Anton Harrison is going to be the highest drafted offensive lineman since those two guys. He's that good. He, he's, was that, he developed and took a major, major step forward his senior year of high school in terms of athleticism, technique, all the feet, and all those things. So I would love to get to watch him play Saturday. And uh, at past tense there for obvious reasons. Well, here, I'll set the bar at Orlando Brown, and I'll, I'll try and put your brain back five years ago. I mean, if you think about Orlando Brown just as a freshman starter in tw- on that 2015 offensive line, not what he became. Obviously, he's a starter for the Baltimore Ravens, having a really good start to his career already. But 2015, did he – how did he grade out? And it's, it's a dumb question because we're talking about a great player. How exactly did he perform? Did he start mainly because of the talent deficiency? Did he start because he was just far and away outplayed everybody else who was there already on campus? I mean, when you think back to 2015 Orlando Brown, what do you think of? Yeah, I think when I thought of Orlando Brown back, obviously was not as big into the film study and stuff and grading guys. But, you know, the first thing I always – 
you know, pops up into my head when you talk about his development was that he played heavy. He wasn't nearly as athletic as he was as a, before he went and got drafted. And this is a guy that really relied on his length and his size more than his technique and his feet and his and speed and all those things. So you look at Anton Harrison and, and trying to kind of with somebody that would be a relatively easy comp to do in Oklahoma standards. I mean, you almost have to throw it back before Bedenbow arrived. I mean, I'm not going to say Phil Loadhold. He was a different beast. He was a, diff- a and he was kind a, of player. He was a JUCO arrival. Yeah, so I think it's different. I think it's completely different. He's not the size and well, just it, monster of a human as Orlando. I think this guy's going to be. I think he's going to be completely different than what we've seen, even at Oklahoma. I maybe. I think maybe you consider. You know. Maybe a more athletic, less stiff Bobby Evans, because Bobby Evans played as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, but yeah, you, you, the expectations of a of a Orlando Brown are clearly have now been thrown on Anton Harrison. But I think this is a guy that's going to perform well as a true freshman. Man, he's he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, that was that was going to be my my next question. It wasn't necessarily a player comp, or do they can they play kind of in similar fashions, but more so. Can we expect if if everything you know that you said about Anton Harrison is true, like is 2015 Orlando Brown like the bar that can be reached? Is that is that far fetched? Is it silly or is it completely attainable considering his talent? Considering Bill Beanbow feels strongly enough to put him as the starter for Game One. I'm looking up real quick and it's popping over my screen now, but I'm looking up the Big Twelve awards from that year. Was Orlando Brown on it? Did he win any? Was he wouldn't have been any newcomer of the year because that would have been Baker. Well, Baker was already in the Big Twelve, so never mind. He might have. Offensive newcomer of the year was Didi. Was it? Oh yeah, it was Didi. Um, in 2015. Mainly for that fumble he picked up in Knoxville. <laughs> that was the best play of the year. They uh. So in 2015, Orlando wasn't on anything. And then in 2016, Orlando Brown was a first-team All-Big 12 selection. So he took a big leap after his year. I just don't remember. I just didn't pay as much attention as I, I do to it now about where, you know, these guys are evaluated at, what they need to get better at, and those things. But what I do remember is he had a ton of height heading into that season. And honestly, did he start? I thought – did He started game one. He started game one. Yeah, because so, the yeah, thing with him early on was um, he would always get a lot of un- after-the-whistle penalties. And his- I think he got two in Knoxville, actually. Um, and it ended up kind of benefiting him as his career went along because as we've seen with Bill Beanbow offensive lines, we've seen some strategic after-the-whistle uh, calls by this offensive line to get the tone set. Uh, but when you're a freshman and you're playing in a hostile environment and your offense isn't moving, that's when it's just kind of like, oh, gosh, Get the kid out of there for a play or two. Let him let him collect himself. But um, I, I'm just thinking more so of if we get a left tackle performance out of Anton Harrison. And again, we're not gonna we're not gonna find this out on Saturday. We'll, we'll be able to see like um, technique. We'll be able to see some small things to give us some hope moving forward. And I'm looking forward to talking to Sam Mays about that on the post game show because he'll of course know a lot of, more about it than I would. But 
as long as we're not seeing the pocket collapse completely to force Spencer Rattler to step up in the pocket quicker uh, in the development of the play, because we even saw that last year um, with Swenson and Proctor against Houston. And uh, albeit Houston's going to have better defensive line talent than what Missouri State's going to trot out there, but there were times last year in that first game of the year, Keegan, where the offensive line on the left side would just break down initially off of one little move, and then Jalen have to step up and then either take off or go to a first read and, you know, chug it. Right. That is something that you want to see. You, you want to see Spencer be comfortable, uh, especially in the first, you know, four or five starts of his career at Oklahoma. I, I think, and I've said this before, and as well these h-backs they're going to put so many of them on the field that's going to alleviate a lot of pressure off these tackles that have to be you know as pristine as they would as they normally would to be good in pass pass blocking be, even be good in run blocking so with that being said i i think with harrison especially a left tackle he's gonna to have to be left on an island sometimes there's going to be a Jaquan Bailey from Iowa State lining up across from him. There's going to be a Joseph Osai lining across from him. There's going to be a Wyatt Huber from Kansas State lining up across from him. And he's going to have to be really good. And he's going to have to be as good as the rest of those guys along Oklahoma's offensive line. But to this point, and I guess I'll leave it with this, if Bill Beanbow trusts him after not having him for a spring or summer and just – seven weeks of fall camp, this guy's got to be unbelievable. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to kind of believe that just because of the track record with Bill Beatonbow, whereas with Alex Grinch, like who I think is a great coordinator, great coach, uh, I just need, we just don't have enough experience with him just yet in terms of what he's been able to bring in, develop, all that stuff. That comes with time. Bill Beatonbow has had the luxury of time on this staff, so – um, looking forward to Anton Harrison if he plays, um, and if he does, looking forward to potentially OU's. You know, next. To mention that. Yeah, well, again, I, we could say that about anybody. You know, like I, I'm not plugged into as many of the reports as I, I guess some people might believe with my crazy OU fandom. Um, I just hear what I hear. Um, Anton Harrison is a name I've heard, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not, this is called the inside OU podcast, not because of me, but because of you, Keegan, you're the one who's inside with all the inside infos, all the sexy <laughs> stuff. You know, I'm, I'm just here to scream about, uh, Hey, Trey Brown. You think, you know, my sources at Oklahoma, you think any of them are giving me any specific names? No, don't throw your sauces under the bus just yet. They might listen. Nah, they're not giving me any names. Maybe just, I have been given the inclination of, Guys could be out. That's it. That's really all I got. What if Spencer Rattler is out? Well, like, is this actually the? To, they is, won't. They won't have to deal with that. Is like, is this actually the first game of the year? Like, does this even count? Put Marvin Mims at quarterback. <laughs> just screw it. <laughs> Probably could run for two hundred yards on Missouri State mm-hmm. if Marvin Mims was at, was at quarterback. But yeah, you know, I, I do want to touch on. You know what we just talked about a second ago? Yeah, it's – how do I say this? And I know you weren't in the message where I said this, but, I mean, can't be breaking HIPAA violations just to get content out there. 
No, you can't. And that's me. I am telling you, and I'm being honest about it on the Inside OU podcast, I don't know any names. I really, really don't. That are in quarantine, that are in COVID. But, I mean, man, what are we doing? Like, it's not – it's not that worth it. It's not that worth it to go, oh, yes, we heard about this. We confirmed it. It's out there. This is ours. It's, and this is me getting on a yelling right now from the top, but like, you can't be doing this. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a, in a global crisis, in a pandemic where this is a public health issue, um, let me think of my words carefully here, but in, in a public health issue like COVID-19, what really is the difference between reporting, hey, this player is asymptomatic and is in quarantine, that's scenario A, and what's the difference between that and saying scenario B, oh, this player tore his ACL, he's out for the year? Because yeah, we, it, we, we, it, don't, we, don't, we, we don't bat an eye at reporters that are like, hey, Trey Sermon tore his ACL, even though we, we all saw it happen. We know he's hurt and probably done for the year, but when you get that report mm-hmm. from whether it's Kersey or – um, whoever else, Eric Bailey, whoever that covers OU football, um, we don't bat an eye at that. Um, now, if a player is in the hospital, I mean, God forbid that that happens anywhere, let alone at the University of Oklahoma. But if that happens, I mean, obviously the family and the coaches are going to be the only ones that really know about that in the first place. But um, if I mean, I, I'm just simply asking the question, what's the difference? Right. Yeah. It. I. I think whenever you like you said that we are in a public health crisis this is a public health issue and this is a sensitive public health issue and it's one of those things that yeah you know lincoln won't even touch on you know a lower body injury is all we typically get that's going to keep him out for the season but yeah it's definitely you know one of those things that now that it's out there it's it's kind of like the Jalen Redmond thing with me talking about his injury and the shoulder and all that I just I I think from a HIPAA perspective from a player perspective like the people that obviously I'm talking about right now that have put names out there that are in quarantine that are in this that are in that like it's I guess it's such a sensitive issue. And, and like, as I said, you know, I've learned is that, you know, this thing is putting people in the hot, like Carlos Martinez from the St. Louis Cardinals. Obviously I would, the only, I would between us, I'd be the only one that knows this is that, you know, he came out and said that he had go to the hospital three or four times. So it's just, I think it's just the sensitivity of the situation right now that I guess elevates it to the fact of the matter of just, it's not worth it. And it's just, it's just not worth it, in my opinion. And, to, and, and clearly, it is a HIPAA violation, not on these – it is on these websites, but it also is on the person that told them um, of quarantine, guys maybe being out for COVID. But, well, yeah, I guess that's where more of my frustration is, is that this is one of those things that it's, it's not worth it. We're going to find out on game day anyways. Yeah. I mean, isn't it a HIPAA violation to report someone's torn their ACL? I mean, that's a medical issue too. That's why I'm asking this question. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't do this at all. Like I, I would feel right. gross. I'd feel gross about it. But, um, I think if the reason why I'm asking this, and I guess we can touch on this a little bit cause we didn't get a chance to talk about it. 
Um, but Lincoln Riley deciding not to disclose any of the COVID-19 positives, negatives yeah. moving forward uh, under the guise of avoiding the opponent to get a competitive advantage. Um, I said this on the radio this over the last few days. I mean, I don't know. I wish OU would have just not re- revealed anything. Like, if they were ultimately going to do this, and they had to have known, if we're going to play football, yeah, we're not going to just release any of this information because of our paranoia. Well, then don't release it during the, the summer because all it seems like to me now was just OU trying to flex their muscles and say, look how good we are. Look how cool we are. Look how we're able to um, you know, build this bubble with our players while no students were on campus at the time. Maybe that was what was needed for some of the suits in the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC to think, okay, we can play football because look at what OU is doing, look what other programs across the country are doing. If that's the case, then so be it. That's, it's a reason why we have football in the fall. But I, to sit, sit there and tell y'all that, yeah, we're, we don't want Missouri State, Kansas State, whoever, to have a competitive advantage because we release the information that they're not going to play anyways. You don't know who they are. You don't have to say they're starters. You don't have to say their damn names or their Jersey numbers or their Facebooks, anything. I just, I don't get it. And Lincoln Riley saying that it's because of competitive advantage. Just, it made me laugh out loud and just go, uh, Oh, fine. Like, look, it's no skin off my back. I would imagine it was kind of an eye roll for you guys in the media, but um, uh, I, I just, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like, this is was, a pub- this is at a the pu- beginning. This was a this is a public health issue. I had the same problem with the Thunder when this all went down um, that night on March 11th against the Jazz. They were so secretive about everything because they're the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they kept hiding behind HIPAA. And I'm I'm like across the street at Flint about to do the post game show for a game that didn't happen. And I'm texting all of our um, franchise thunder insiders in the arena going, don't let them tell you that I need to know if you guys are going to get sick. Cause at the time I didn't know what the hell COVID-19 was capable of doing. I was afraid for everybody in there. And I'm like, don't you sit there and tell us that it's HIPAA. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I initially, and I, I know I started a tweet thread about this initially I had the thought of, well, this one isn't a competitive advantage. You're still not going to be playing with these guys anyways. And the team's going to know they can change their game plan like this. Good coaches can do that like this. So with that being said, the more you find out that Oklahoma's not, they're just not releasing it to the public. The school knows the people that, that are in the, you know, health Departments in, in Cleveland County and, and, and state, local, all those things, they know about, you know, their numbers and this and that. So, with that being said, though, man, it looks bad. In terms of what is this your – what are you hiding at this point? You release it then, you, re- you won't release it now. And the other, the other can of worms – I you said just... it on this podcast. Yeah. There were guys two weekends ago – that were there were a ton of guys out on campus corner. So, yeah, I mean, and you you just kind of touched on this. Um, I'm not accused. I'm not. I'm not going to assume OU's going to do this because Lincoln Riley um, appears to be. He appears to be a classy coach in that he honestly and genuinely cares about his players. I mean, he wants to win and basically win at all costs, but um, he he doesn't. 
He doesn't seem like Art Bryles to me. But if programs are going to start not disclosing their public health issue numbers, in three to five years, Keegan, are you going to be surprised when you read an article about a scandal because some program, some rogue coach played a handful of players during the pandemic year knowingly sick? That would not shock me because this is college football we're talking about. Yes and no. I guess I have more faith in college coaches to be human I, beings. I want to as well, but it just wouldn't shock me because we've had too many you know, evidence of the contrary. Now, here's the problem. Here's exactly what I had. Now, if there's 11, 12 guys that are out for Oklahoma on Saturday and we ask about it after the game, maybe not specifically, you know, numbers-wise, this and that. See, that's when it becomes this issue because – then what are like there's no reason to hide at that point whether it was injury or COVID. Like these guys were out, blah blah blah. Well, if people know that player A is hurt and then eleven other guys are out and no one's heard anything about an injury, then we already can make the assumption that these guys are out for COVID. So just why not release the numbers early in the week? You're gonna avoid those questions from the media like me. And, other, and all the other Oklahoma media, and us snooping around to figure out who's out and who's not. So that's my biggest complaint. It's like your Oklahoma is just making it more difficult on themselves and causing – and Lincoln Riley than it should be. Like if – like I said, it just – from the reporting it, this is what happens. If you just release the numbers – then I guarantee you there's a lot less conversation about who's out, who's not, trying to figure out who's out, who's not. Um, and, and at that point, too, you can kind of control the media in saying, okay, if you report this, then, like, you know, credentials pulled or for one week or whatever. So it's a cluster. It's going to be a cluster all year. Um, but, yeah, it's been a uh, – it's definitely had my head kind of spinning. And like you said, like the injury deal and HIPAA as well. Like that's more on the source for talking about it than it is on the website reporting it. Yeah. But with the sensitivity and the potential long-term health issues of this thing, like I just wish that, you know, we'd all just chill out, wait for the game to start. We're going to know. We all, a lot, a lot of people know already. And you know, that's my, uh, it's my last Last take on the soapbox right now. But I want to complain. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, again, I was just asking the question, and I was just a little, like, mm, less than annoyed when Lincoln Riley did that. But, oh, well, uh, like, life will soldier on. Uh, Keegan, we asked some people on the Twitter sphere uh, if they want to have some player predictions because we all know he's going to win the game. So there's no point in saying – what's the score going to be? 75 to 3? 75 to 2? Who, who knows? Um, so we asked for some player predictions. Got a few. Got three. Not bad for the first uh, time I asked on a whim, but maybe we'll get some more as we get further and further along into this here football season. But uh, let's see. Do you have yours pulled up, Mr. Keegan? I, I do. Okay. Do you want to take off the first one? No, you go. Okay, fine, fine, fine. This is from fellow franchisee at Radio's Ryan, Mr. Ryan Chapman. Gabe Burkich will continue his reign as pound for pound, the best player on the OU roster. Um, it's not necessarily a player prediction for this game, but um, how about this? 
I want him to miss a field goal on purpose against Missouri State. It's a meaningless Just game. So it's, it's not perfect. It, there you go. It's 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 done. Move move on with your life. No more pressure. Because I'd hate for him to go three for three, and then make his first field goal against Kansas State. It's a tight ball game, and there's a 40-yard field goal, and then all you hear is, he hasn't missed a field goal yet. You son of a bitch. (laughs) The broadcaster Ah, that game. To Ryan. Creed Humphrey's clearly one of one for this team this year. But, I mean, there is an argument for him being number two, Gabe Burkich. He was on one of my most important players for this. He was in the spring. He is right now. He's good. I mean, you can't take a kicker for granted in college football. Yes. Hashtag college kickers. Lock him in a quarantine bubble for the rest of the season. He can, like Spencer Rattler, obviously you don't want him to miss a game. There are going to be other players that you're just like, please, I don't want this guy to miss either. But Gabe Burkage is definitely – you don't want to be playing Texas – down a point or two at the you know in the last few minutes of the game and then not have Gabe Burkich to rely on so uh whew, that is scary Keegan you take number two I just came off here we go great Twitter follow Steve Bullard Brian Asimo will get ejected for targeting late in the second quarter look dang good doing it that's almost Can way too target- can you get targeted what? Can you get targeting if you hit a guy from an FCS team too hard? Well, if you lead with your head, of course. This this prediction seems so precise that um, I'm kind of questioning if Steve has some type of some uh, sights, some psychic ability, some future seeing, you know, maybe a soothsayer, which is odd because Steve is like my OU Twitter buddy when it comes to OU history. He always has all these obscure clips of obscure players, and I always appreciate him because I'm an OU history football junkie. So uh, it's – does he have something against Brian Asamoa? Has Brian Asamoa done this before? Did he get ejected last year? I think he's, I think he's just saying he's – He'll like hit someone really hard and get ejected. I I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. Which will lead us into number three. Um oh at Red Dirt Sport. Our, our our loving friend, RDS. Mims, six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. Hey oh man, a lot of guys are gonna catch a lot of balls. We freeze? Oh, my fault. No. Oh, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, a lot of guys are going to play this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Mims catches quite a few passes for some big gains, but um, I'm just excited to see a freshman, a true freshman out there returning punts. And hopefully That's going to be nuts. If he's as good as um, I think he is from his tape, from what I've heard, and all the accolades that he kind of brings uh, to OU from high school, I hope that there is some... I hope that there is at least a desire to want to uh, play special teams and return punts. Maybe, maybe not. Six catches, 105 yards. The yards may be right. I will go over on the catches. Like we've talked about, these freshmen are going to get a lot of run on Saturday. These are guys that got to get ready for the rest of the season. 
So let's go 10 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. So, so many guys are going to play. I don't know if one guy's going to be able to gobble up that many catches. I think he's going to play more than – I mean, most of the other receivers. Like, Charleston Rambo doesn't need to play. Well, Rambo much. doesn't need to play. Like, the upperclassmen don't really need to play. But guys like Stogner, he's going to play a lot. Stogner's probably going to get a ton of catches. If any, if any one guy gets catches, it'll be Stogner. Maybe. Theo, Theo Weiss needs the reps. But does he need the reps as much as a Theo Howard? Well, I mean, he's an upperclassman. I, I, I'm just assuming. I mean, who knows? We're going to see so many names. We're going to see so many jerseys. Hell, we might even see number zero out there for the first time in OU football history, number zero, Woody Washington. Number zero, yes, but there has been a double number Double, zero. double zeros don't count. Like, double zeros are different than a single zero because double zero is, is, is more zero than the single zero. Is Dane Lillard double uh, zero or am I dumb? No, he's just number zero. He's just number zero, yeah. And so is Gilbert Arenas. Oh, is there a double zero jersey number? This is great podcasting. We're almost done, everybody. Bear with us. Oh, Mello. Of course. <laughs> Mello. It comes right back to Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony wore double zero this year in Portland. So uh, avoid that number. Any Absolutely. Final, any final thoughts, Keegan? It's going to be an interesting weekend. Um, I, I'm not going to put Iowa State on upset alert, but the Louisiana – University of Lafayette. Raging Cajuns. It's a great very name. good foot very good football team. Very good football team. Um wish like we could have seen Louisiana Tech play Baylor, obviously. Um not gonna see them this weekend. But Oklahoma, you know, how sound are they gonna be? How sound are these young guys gonna be? How many mental mistakes can will not happen? How long will Spencer Rattler play? There's all sorts of questions that, that are going to be answered Saturday night, but we're not going to learn much from this game about where Oklahoma's heading in 2020. But I think the biggest thing here is chemistry, discipline, and assignments on football. If they can accomplish those three things as well as get out of this game with no injuries, uh, you, you, you've accomplished what you want to accomplish in game one. And Oklahoma is setting themselves up offensively you have a another banner year and more than likely going to put themselves right back at the top as the number one offense in college football and yours per play offense and analytics and S&P plus or SP plus now. Um, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun game Saturday night. I'm looking forward to being able to cover a football game again, be back in the fire of it. It's kind of got my juices flowing a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, We'll kind of see what comes what comes of uh, the post game Saturday night uh, of Zoom calls and see if Oklahoma answers any COVID questions. Uh, unfortunately, that is going to be a top discussion. But it, it's football's here, guys. Football's here, Brady. Let's uh, let's roll with it. Very sexy. And actually, Keegan, I didn't prepare you for this because I wanted it to be kind of shocking. Um, it's time for your OU season prediction. And we will hold you accountable. We'll even do. We'll. I'll even put mine out there, because I just want. I just want us to be able to either 
just to talk shit to each other if we were wrong. But 10 games this season. A lot of questions, a lot of returning talent. OU is probably the most talented team across the board in the conference. What do you have OU going in 2020? Assuming we have the full season and assuming – I don't even know if we can safely assume that COVID won't greatly negatively impact OU for a game because everyone's going to have the same disadvantage advantage. So I'm going to put, make this decision and put this out there on record with an, a little asterisk here. If Oklahoma beats Iowa state in Ames, Oklahoma will go 10 or now. Okay. So they've avenged last year's loss already in that scenario by beating Kansas state. So you have them going 10 and 0. If 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 they beat Iowa State, if they lose to Iowa State, I could see a seven and three season upon them. So Iowa State's your uh, it's your swing. Iowa is your swing state. I see. Very political of you with this election. Always, po- always political. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say eight and two. With like, I don't really have a, a game in mind. I just there are too many questions. The, the defensive front seven, um, I know Spencer Rattler is good, but he is a freshman. He, like, he is a – or he's a sophomore, technically. Um, he is a first-year – Redshirt freshman. He is a first-year starter playing with a lot of new guys. Um, there's a freshman on the left tackle position that we already praise, but there's just – there's too much inexperience for me to just fully go all in on the fact that, oh, he's just the most talented team in the conference. Because I think of, because of all the disadvantages, because of how weird everything is, I just feel like it's going to bite OU in the ass more than just their one inexplicable loss um, that they typically have every year. You know, they, they take care of business, but they always have that one game where nothing goes right and the opposing quarterback, who could until recently not throw forward, looks like Joe Montana. So I'll, I'll even go all in and put my predictions for the losses. I'm going to say that OU loses to – Ooh, I'm going to go ahead and say that OU loses – they're going to – okay, OU's going to lose to West Virginia and Oklahoma State. So they're going to be 7-0 and and then lose two of their last three games. At some point, West Virginia is going to beat OU. West Virginia is my trap game. For yeah. sure, you know that. It, it's in Morgantown. At some point, West Virginia is going to beat OU. Why not in this wacky-ass year? And, I mean, I, I kind of think OSU is a tad bit overrated just because we've seen OSU teams come into a season with a lot of great skill returning, but they have no one blocking for them and their defense. I don't care how many guys they have returning. They sucked last year. Yay, you're returning guys who sucked. Congratulations. So, hey, they, they did not play well in that Bedlam game against a quarterback that you hate. Because OU ran the football 40 times. Well, hell, hey, OSU were running the football. Okay, we've got a good defense. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Silly us. Oklahoma State's defense has a chance to be really – not really good nationally. They have a chance to be good nationally this year. They really do. They got – uh, they kind of have the right makeup. You've got an elite edge rusher and trace forward. Probably guys going to be a top two, three round, probably top two round pick whenever it's time to come to the draft. You've got a really good safety and Colby Harvey Peel. 
You got two two good linebackers. I'm gonna. I'm not saying one of the names because I will. Miss <laughs> I know. Um, amen. Amen. And yes, yeah, something along those lines. Amen. And then, uh, and then Antoine, uh, I on the interior that I think's got a chance to be pretty good. So they really only have one hole, and that's at one corner spot. Which I, you know, I think this. I think their defense has a chance to be just as good as Oklahoma's this year. But at the same time, too, as you know, I've said this for a couple podcasts now. It's embrace it. It's going to happen. There's going to be shootouts left and right in this conference this year. And that's not to the detriment of these defenses either. These offenses are going to be freaking good. Really good. So, well, there you have it, everybody. Keegan's calling for an undefeated season. I'm calling for an eight and two season, which, I mean, are, are they doing bowl games? Have they, have they decided that? Cause I know the playoffs are still that's on, a good but are, question. like, I've never heard that if bowl games are going to happen. So I don't know if, if OU season's, just ends if they don't make the Big 12 championship. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, good question. I'll have to get clarity on that for the uh, podcast on Sunday. Awesome. Yes. And again, Keegan, I'm sure I'm going to try and get you on the post game show, maybe for a call in. Uh, I've never done them before uh, for the radio, so we'll see how that goes. But if not, maybe we can get a podcast podcast recorded um, for our post game reactions. But Keegan, we're here. We are finally here. So thank you so much for jumping on uh, to the podcast for the last time that we call the offseason. Absolutely. It's football. It's football time in Oklahoma. It's one of the better terms. Better, It means football season is here in the state in terms of college football. No better time. No better time. It's 50 degrees outside right now. It's going to be nice and cool Saturday night. The first game. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome. How rude! I mean, I mean, I know the season wouldn't have started this late in September, but the first home game is always blazing ass hot, and it's supposed to be eighty degrees. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah, not it's gonna, gonna be, be perfect any- out Saturday night. I'm not gonna be anywhere near there. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to talking to you guys, listen and listening to all your thoughts and everything. Uh, as the season goes along. But for Mr. Keegan Renault, this is Brady Trantham. Talk to you all later.